Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the No Name Musicast. My name's Tim, and this is... Joy. And I just want to remind everyone, we do have a Facebook page out there where we post some stuff from our episodes and links and pictures and videos and things that we think you would find interesting. So head over there to facebook.com slash no name music cast. That's facebook.com slash no name music cast. OK, so this week is my turn to pick the topic. And I had a topic in mind, but... Our dear friend of the uh, of the podcast, Jilbo, made a suggestion to me uh, about a week ago, or maybe a little bit longer, I can't remember. So I've decided to take heed of her suggestion. So this one's for you, Jilbo. And Yay. this And this episode is called Rock and Roll Road Trip. Oh, interesting. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I'm, this isn't like an exhaustive list of every rock and roll themed place I've ever been to ever, though I have, I'm very lucky that I have traveled widely and seen a lot of cool stuff, but I've just gone through my um, archives and just pulled out a few places which I thought would make some interesting stories and interesting discussions for the pod. So it's not going to be every, um, what's the restaurant you eat at everywhere? Hard Rock Cafe. It's not every Hard Rock Cafe you've been to, right, Tim? No. And in fact, I'm, I'm actually, li- I, I, as I was looking through my pictures, I noticed that the good bulk of these trips are based around <laughs> Hard Rock Cafe. To everyone who doesn't know this, Tim has an extensive list of Hard Rock Cafes he has attended. That's why I asked. All right. Yeah. So I, I may do a Hard Rock episode at some point in the future, but... But for now, this week is a rock and roll road trip. So I'm opening up the rock and roll road trip. Okay. And this was a place that I went to in 2009 in Northampton. And Northampton is somewhere that's about 60 miles north of London. It's about halfway to Manchester, Birmingham. Actually, probably closer to halfway to Birmingham, to be honest. Okay. Okay. And we went to a shoe museum in Northampton. Like where they make shoes? No, where they display shoes. Okay. Well, oh, so it's a museum. I thought it was thinking like a factory tour. Never mind. Y'all, I'm already <laughs> on it today. So you were well, looking at shoes, and I'm guessing there was some celebrity shoes in this museum? That's correct. In fact, the, 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 the whole reason we went to the Northampton Shoe Museum, it was one of these sort of highbrow museums that was built with lottery money because like in england in england we only got the lottery in the 90s and a lot of the money got funneled off into charities and rather than be i'm sure they some money went to worthy charities but a lot of it went to a lot of arty stuff and they were criticized a lot at the time that these lottery grants were going to things that were not necessarily deemed essential so in America, at least in Virginia, I'm only going to speak of Virginia because it varies state to state. Our lottery money actually supports the public school system. So that's yeah. pretty cool. We don't always do everything great, but that's pretty good. Yeah. And I think maybe now, maybe the UK lottery money does go to better things. But and there was some talk that I think Richard Branson wanted to run the lottery initially. And he said he was going to give all the all the um, the profits to the NHS. But of course, some other consortium one and camelot i think got it i don't know if they still have it but that's how it was and they had all these arts grants and things anyway this uh, this shoe museum came okay. from a lot lottery uh, lottery arts grant so as you would imagine it has many types of footwear over the years and things like that but more importantly the reason we went there do you remember in the film tommy by the who yeah you've seen that mm-hmm. you've seen you've seen the pinball wizard scene with elton john 
I already knew that's where this was going. Yes. Yes, and he has those super high Doc Martin boots. Mm-hmm. Yep, and so guess what? There? Yeah, guess what? <laughs> they are there, and the way that they have it set up is that when you you sort of walk the corner where they're where they are where they are, and they're on top of like a cabinet, and there's a big picture of Elton John from the film, and then the boots are there, and as you as you move the corner, there's like a sensor, and it kicks off the uh, Elton John doing Pinball Wizard. So what's cool though is as soon as you, I was gonna make a joke. Well, were Ellen John's boots there? Because <laughs> you were making the Europe like the, and I was, and then as soon as you said that, I was like, oh my god, it's the pinball wizard. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so no, that's fantastic. Um, which I mean. So when you're saying charities, I'm going to go back to what we were saying before, because the boots were cool, but I have a, I have a question. Mm-hmm. So are these rich people who had the boots and sold them to the lottery, basically, and then the lottery put them? How does that logistically work? I think I don't know actually who owns the boot. I mean, I think the museum may own the boots now. I would imagine they've probably passed hands a few times through various collectors and things like that. And I would imagine the money that they got for setting up this museum, they was able to purchase them. Or sometimes you find a rich collector will buy memorabilia like that and then they loan it to a museum so everyone can see it. So I do know that Lady Gaga bought a bunch of Michael Jackson's um like tour clothes like she has like a thriller jacket a glove i know she was talking about on some different interviews and she doesn't display them but she keeps them in like a it's like a warehouse but it's temperature controlled to keep them in pristine condition Mm -hmm. and she says her goal is that not that she's like in there like you know what she doesn't touch them kind of like you know when you go in europe and you're in like i don't know about you but when i was like in different venues and stuff in Europe. If you touch anything like you're not supposed to, there's some security guard who goes screaming at you from a distance, not allowed to take pictures because they don't want you to mess up any old historical things. Mm-hmm. She doesn't let anybody in the warehouse. She keeps it in like a, some like the perfect temperature. I guess there's like a specific temperature you're supposed to keep clothing at. Mm-hmm. She said her goal is not that she's like in there wanting to be all over it is that it can be preserved. So when she passes, Michael Jackson's clothes could then be passed on and be used maybe in a museum or something. Because, you know, he went through all that kind of mon- monetary issues. And I think there was some worry about some of his stuff getting sold off. So she bought it for that reason instead of just like letting it go out into the atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the. Apollo um, spacesuit that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. The Smithsonian have that now. And if it's, it's on display, but the way that it's, it's lit with special lights that won't fade any of the colors uh, on the patches or anything, and it has to be temperature controlled, and there's a special process where some of the materials it's made from perish over time, so they have to in, put some gas in an air. Or it's, 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 a, it's a whole thing, but there, there's a whole preservation aspect. Um, what is that one? In, uh, what's not the, not the French, not the Paris Opera House, but Chateau. Uh, what is that one you go to? And it's basically just a big open building in Paris and the roofs are done in like that really good artwork. Oh my God. It's a really famous thing in my mind. It's like, it doesn't matter. Anyway, when you go to Europe and you're just kind of like on one of those flashback tours, you're like thrown all these different really art things. And you know what I mean? Tim, it all becomes a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there was one that we were at and you weren't allowed to take pictures. Well, some dude beside me, and I don't think he spoke English. So you know how like you've got when you're in those those type things, think like the Louvre. This wasn't the Louvre, but think like the Louvre. You've got 37,000 mm-hmm. people around you and everybody speaks a different language, right? 
well, there's like about a thousand signs in every language saying, don't take a picture, don't take a picture, don't take a picture. You're not allowed to take pictures. Do beside me takes a picture and uses flash. (laughs) So I'm standing there and a security guard comes bolting out. He grabbed the guy's camera and crushed it on the wall and just walked off. And we all just kind of stood there like frozen. Oh dear. <laughs> that happened um, while I was in France. But it's because it was, you know, from like the 1600s type thing. So they didn't want anything to get destroyed. But he actually, I just was just shocked. He didn't say anything. He just picked the guy's camera up, crushed it on the wall, and walked off. There's a there's a museum in Danville, Virginia. There's a tank museum. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the yeah. tank museum? I know what you're talking. But Dan, okay. Anyway, we went from Paris to Danville. If you live in Virginia, you'll understand that. Continue to. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a there's a museum in Danville, which is a tank museum, and it's as you would imagine, it's like this big warehouse full of tanks and military memorabilia, but mostly tanks. And, mm-hmm. you know, I like a quirky museum. So we went to Danville one time and there's big signs everywhere saying that they, you can take pictures, but no flash photography, because apparently the flashes will deteriorate these huge military made of steel machines. So a grenade being thrown at it or even a flashbang or a claymore is not going to destroy the tank. But if I take a picture with my Polaroid with the flash on, the tank is going to disintegrate is what you're telling me. That That's what I'm saying. So, so basically what I'm saying is for any any folks out in the military out there, don't worry about guns or, or grenades or bombs. What, what you need is an Instamatic. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> they, have a, they have another one down in South Carolina. Um, well, South Carolina, well, North, Fort Bragg is in North Carolina because I come from a military family. Fort Bragg is in North Carolina. And then you got Fort Sumner across in South Carolina. But Fort Bragg has the big one of the biggest... Um, like kind of like museums because mm-hmm. it's like the home of the rangers and all this stuff and so you can go and i've been there a million times over um with my family and um my great my aunt is actually the first woman who passed um ranger school though she never got her green beret uh just because of the timing unfortunately that was what she wasn't allowed to but she's actually got her little section there so we've been a few times and went and saw her um but this i've never seen anything that said you can't take a picture of a tank (laughs) just saying well there you go maybe maybe only tanks stored in danville virginia deteriorate with a uh i think everything in danville virginia is deteriorating but that's not related (laughs) sorry if you live in danville but you know all right, move along, Tim. What's next? Oh, okay, so thinking about museums and thinking about Michael Jackson clothing, the, okay. um, the the next place which I'm going to say on this rock and roll road trip is where the last time I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, which was 2017, the last time I went there. I have been two or three times to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but the last time I went was probably the best visit I had. They did have some, like as I said, some Michael Jackson stage clothes there. I think they may have had a glove as well while I was there. But the main reason I'm mentioning the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as well as all the cool other memorabilia that they have, they had a Beatles display there. Hmm. And on, in that Beatles display, they had Ringo Starr's number one Ludwig drum kit now this is a drum kit that he played all the way through the beatles whenever you see the beatles playing and he has that kind of gray mottled color ludwig drum does it have the top like tom drums or whatever well it has the toms but i don't think it has the skins on the bottom however he set it up okay they they have that 
kit there. It's on loan huh. from from Ringo Starr, and it says it says um, on loan from Richard. Uh, um, Richard and Barbara Starkey. That's what it says on the little thing, Aww, which is like a real name. Oh, that's so cute. So, yeah, because I always remember his drum set. And, you know, this is just me remembering from concerts. He's got he's got his big bass drum. And then I felt like, because you've got your floor tom over here, you've got your snare, your hi-hat, your crash cymbals, whatever you had. But I really don't remember him having toms on the top. Or if he did, he only had one. Maybe he had a weird setup. But usually you've got at least double toms right here, you know. So if you're doing a roll across, you can do that. Then you get your floor tom. But I, I always distinctly remember his setup was different than most artists. Yeah. And in fact, I've got the picture here. So so he has he has a bass drum, a floor tom, a snare, and then he has one rack tom. That's what it is. So it's only one. I, I, I was because I'm used to having two. So it just for some reason that always stood out to me. But then again, if you think about it, most Beatles music, not really going to require a tom like that. It's uh, it, I'm just going to say it. it's going to be mostly a snare and a hi hat and a four cat with a bass drum. That's most Beatles music. It's true. Exactly. And the other um, the other cool thing that they had there was the Mellotron, if you're familiar with what a Mellotron is. I have no idea what that is. So a Mellotron is a is before they invented synthesizers or before synthesizers were an actual thing. What okay. a Mellotron was, it was a keyboard. So it looked like a keyboard or like an organ. But when mm -hmm. you press the key down, it spun a little wheel. And on that wheel was was tape like you would get in a reel to reel recorder. So oh, what, I've seen that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So when you press the key down, it actually spins the thing and then you could record. Well, the manufacturer would record something on that tape so you could trigger different sounds on the keyboard using the Mellotron. Now, the Mellotron that they have is used on a lot of uh, Beatles songs, and it's the one that's used on Strawberry Fields famously. Which makes sense because it does have that sympathizer sound. No, I can physically see what you're talking about. I've seen it, but I didn't know what the name was. Exactly. And equally, I um, took a photograph of a double neck guitar belonging to Metallica and my flash fired off and somebody ran out and asked me not to use the flash, please. It, but they didn't I, I, take your phone and crush it against the wall, right? No, they didn't. It was just like, I'm sorry, can you just turn the flash off? And I was like, yes, I can. Thank you very much. They were very serious about that when I was in Greece, too, with all the Greek stuff. Yeah, I think I think over I think if you the odd flash photo here and here would probably be fine, but I think it's over time. Yeah, it would it would it would wash it out and deteriorate it. I just think that security guard was having a bad day and took all of his anger out on that poor guy's camera. <laughs> <laughs> and I just imagined like his entire vacations film was on this one camera. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> now it's gone. That is pretty cool though. I haven't been. I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame probably like 2013. So you've been after me, and I definitely don't remember seeing that specifically because that would have stuck out because I made this a Beatles drum set. But I will say I can distinctly see Ringo Starr's drum set from a mile away. It's very iconic, and mm -hmm. he was always he always played it a very specific way. I we've talked about Ringo's drumming, but you can see the way he always he always had a facial expression too when he was playing. Very very distinct. Exactly. Well, it's all about peace and love. That's what it is. Oh, Ringo. <laughs> He's such a nice guy. He was 82 recently. Good Lord. He doesn't look 82. No, he's, um, he's, he's he doing very well. It's all the peace and love. That's what it is. It's probably because he's like, I think he's like a hardcore vegan or something, right? I, th I think so. Um, and plus, I mean, he, he's, uh, he's had a very good life. So, yeah, if I had the money he had, I'd probably look that good at 82. <laughs> peace and love peace and love okay so the next stop on the rock and roll uh, road trip 
We're going to go to Salem, Virginia. I've been there before. Yep, Salem, Virginia. And for those who don't know Salem, it's on I-81 North going towards Roanoke. Now, I understand for our friends who live in Camberley or something, it doesn't that doesn't make a lot of uh, doesn't mean a lot to them. But we, we, we live near a big road called 81, which is like the equivalent of the M3 sort of. It's that kind of idea. So um, the next, as I said, the next stop is we're going to Salem. And the reason we're going to Salem is um, I, in 2011, I hadn't lived around here for very long. And I had the opportunity to see another titan of rock and roll. One of the big, one of the greats, one of the big, uh, the big names in the world of rock. And he was performing with the Roanoke Symphony Orchestra, as you would imagine you would be. And I saw Billy Ocean. Okay, that's random. <laughs> I had no idea where that was going, but but I guess if you're playing with an orchestra, it would make sense that Billy Ocean is playing with an orchestra because he's kind of got that sound. That's true. And what happened apparently is that somebody who was involved with the Roanoke Symphony Orchestra is like a, like a donor of the Roanoke Symphony Orchestra really loves Billy Ocean. So okay. they paid for Billy Ocean and his band to come and do this gig at the uh, Salem Civic Center. Now, the funny thing was, I bought tickets thinking this was just like a gig like any other gig. So okay. we get there and we find the middle of the the close know, the Roanoke, um, sorry, Roanoke, the Salem Civic Center is the same kind of idea as Wembley Arena, sort of. It's smaller. But it's the same principle where you have the stage at one end, obviously, and then you have an area which can either be seating or standing. And then you have the like the, the um, seats around the outside. Mm -hmm. So we bought tickets and we couldn't get anything down on the bottom, but but we got the seats around the outside. So we went along thinking this was just going to be a normal gig, but he had to be performing with the Roanoke Symphony Orchestra. We get there and we find it's like some fancy, posh, affair where only those in the know could get the tickets in the ground area and they this is the guy who sings caribbean queen right correct yeah and <laughs> okay. down on the ground were like these big round tables and all these people like to do people in from the roanoke and surrounding area who had to be in the know to get these tickets that it was like some kind of like it was like a bring a picnic affair so everyone came in with like these picnic baskets and what? champagne and Stilton and okay this is just so weird to me because we're talking about the guy who sees Caribbean Queen and get out of my dreams get into my car correct I don't I don't I don't associate him I mean he does have a kind of like a grandiose sound so I see how it could work with an orchestra mm -hmm. but I don't associate it with highbrow picnics <laughs> No, and, that, and then neither did we. So we sat down and we were observing this whole scene and like, this is really weird. <laughs> and then, then two things happened. One, it, down in the ground around one of these tables, we saw Robin Reed. And you know who that is. Yeah, he's a news WD, anchor. WDBA7 news anchor and weatherman, which yeah. is weird. And it's like, oh, that's Robin Reed. And oh. then some snooty lady walked past <laughs> like where we, because we was up a bit, but it was lady walked past. And we overheard her saying, yeah, this, this, these kind of things, they're not for those people. 
like pointing up to where we were. Wait, I just need to establish this guy sings a song that's when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Yes. <laughs> Is anybody else like getting this? I mean, I understand it's an orchestra, but you could really do any song with an orchestra. It's just a form of music. Like I would say he has that broad voice, but like, I mean, the guy sings a song when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. Like, it's not like we're talking about Frank Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, I just, it's also when you talk about Billy Olsen, this will make you laugh too, Tim. I always think of a scene. There's a family guy episode where they, there's a, there's a whale. No, he's not a whale. What is he? He's not a seal. He's a dolphin, a dolphin. Mm -hmm. And his name is Billy. And they, I, it only dawned on me recently. He's Billy the ocean, but because he's a dolphin. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, not related, but it makes the story funny because, like, I'm just saying, I mean, no offense to, I mean, I like Billy Ocean. He's fine. But, I mean, the guy who sings Caribbean Queen is not the one I associate with the highbrow picnic. <laughs> it, it was it was an odd pairing. And uh, as I said, it was we found out after, as I said, it was some one of the donors for the Roanoke Symphony Orchestra really loves Billy Ocean and then made a large donation to make this concert happen. And the best part was all the way through it, Billy Ocean kept saying, thank you, Roanoke, until somebody told him almost at the end, you're in Salem, not Roanoke. <laughs> well, I do know a fact about Billy Ocean. So mark that off your um, your your cards out there if you're playing bingo. Here's a trivia fact for you. His okay. real name is Leslie Sebastian Charles. Oh, so that sounds mean? way fancier than Billy Ocean. Maybe you should have went by that for the picnic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even if he was called Leslie Charles, I mean, that's a, that's a cool name. Well, my husband's name is Charles Leslie. Oh. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Charlie's, like, full name is Charles Leslie Thompson III. <laughs> there you go. Charlie, you have a really fancy name, bud. <laughs> Marvelous. But I'm just saying, if you went by Leslie Sebastian Charles, I might have understood what there was a fancy. I don't know. It just it is really humorous. That's like if you walk into like a I don't know, I'm trying to think of an artist. Like if I'm at a Billy Ray Cyrus concert, <laughs> I'm not exactly thinking people are gonna pull out all the stops like with the champagne. I'm I'm expecting more of a Bud Light situation. Yeah. And, I understand it's an orchestra. It was probably supposed to be fancy and yada, yada, yada. But it is kind of weird. I'm not going to lie, Tim. That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we go. Well, let's uh, let's get let's get back in the car and let's leave Salem. And our rock and roll road road trip is now going to take us to uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Okay. Now, Lancaster, um, Pennsylvania is famous for being a community. So, again, community of Amish people. So doing what anyone would do when you're in Lancaster, Hannah and I exclusively listened to Weird Al Yankovic's Amish Paradise on a loop all the time that we was in Lancaster. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) Which is the rock and roll connection for this particular stop. That's fair enough. I've been to Lancaster um, and I've actually been to Amish, like some of the Amish stores. That's really cool is if you go up to Lancaster, so they've got right outside like the major area, they've got a lot of like Amish. You can, they've got like stands. I don't know if you saw them, Tim, like mm-hmm. on the side of the road where they're selling like Amish blank. It's all handmade stuff. Um, and it's kind of how some of the Amish people get their money, I guess, probably 
mm-hmm. generate it somehow. But you can get like food, you can get blankets, you can get dolls. And what's creepy is their dolls don't have faces because they think that's vanity. I don't know if you saw any of the creepy dolls. No offense if you're Amish, but I don't think you're Amish are listening to our podcast. I could be wrong. Well, I don't know a great deal about the Amish people, but I know what Weird Al says in his song, and they shun fancy things like electricity. So I don't think they would have the equipment necessary to um, to listen to a podcast. And I'm not insulting them if they're happy and that's what they want to do. That's fine. But they also they don't believe they don't believe in vanity. Like they think like having your face on a doll and stuff is like vain. I don't know what the um, thing is there, but so like if you get if you go to these little stands on the side of the road in Lancaster, they'll have like a little hat and a little dress on and the face will just be blank. And no matter how hard you try it, it's creepy. It's creepy. (sighs) Yeah, I would say dolls in general are creepy, but we're like, well, one without a face on it is super creepy. Oh, I'm going to bring the road trip home, Tim. Here, this is not related to music, but it's related to creepy dolls. So (laughs) (laughs) there is a, um, so Tim talks about, I'll make it related to music. Tim talks about there's a local store, we call it the NCAP that he likes to buy his CDs from. Mm -hmm. And they do really good for the area. Well, they have a secondary store on what's known as Roanoke Street, ironically, Roanoke again, near us that does like the big furniture and stuff. And so this is a secondhand store that is a lot of good in our community. Um, they actually have our um, some of our community services and then people to there and they don't have money. They give them little tickets and they can get stuff. So anyway, moral stories, me and Charlie went perusing one day and we went into the one that has all the furniture. They have an entire creepy section of porcelain dolls that is like set up for Christmas and for Halloween and for, I, I'll have to find the video. I will have to find the video and put it on the page. When I say it's next, I, and I'm not one who's easily scared by dolls. I think some people get a little, but I'm usually not. But I mean, it was stacks and stacks and stacks and they made scenes out of them. There was like a mother Teresa standing, like laying on the ground at one point, holding another baby doll. It was so weird. <laughs> and I recorded a video of it. I'm going to have to post it. Not that it has anything to do with music, but it's very creepy. I've been in there a couple of times. Their CD selection is not good. And luckily, I didn't see the doll selection. <laughs> oh, God, don't go. It's around like you have to go all the way kind of towards it. And this is close to Christmas time. And they had a bunch of Christmas stuff set up. So it could have been that. But I will find that video. I will search high at low because it is weird. There so we if you are. come to our area on a road trip, don't go to that store. It's the moral of the story. Yeah, go to the other one that's at the bottom of downtown because it doesn't have creepy dolls. It doesn't have creepy dolls, and I donate all my plastic bags to them. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> all right, where's the road trip going? Okay, so we're going to get back in the car. We, we, we uh, said hello to our friends in the Amish community, and we got back in the car. And this time, we've gone to New York City. Now, there are, I've been to New York City a number of times, and there's lots of cool stuff to do. But I would say I was lucky enough to experience this twice. So I went to I think I mentioned this on the podcast maybe 10 episodes ago or so. But I was lucky enough to see Les Paul at the Iridium. Now, Les Paul being the guy who invented the solid body electric guitar, and he also invented multi-track recording. Now, when I saw him, he was I saw him in 2004 and he was in his early 90s. And then I saw him in 2009 and it was, he was in his late 90s at that point. I would say that his playing in 2009 was actually better than in 2004. And to see literally be in the same room and eventually meet the man 
that invented the solid body electric guitar is just unbelievable. And he would tell he would tell these stories, like unbelievable stories. And he'd be like, well, yeah, well, me and Django Reinhardt in 32, we was in Paris and then we did this and then blah, blah. It's just, I mean, you, you wouldn't matter if he didn't even play a note. It was just the stories that he would tell. And wasn't his like original prototype called the log? That's correct. Yeah, it was an it was an epif- well, Originally, what he wanted was a railway sleeper because he liked the way it sustained, but it mm-hmm. was in- too heavy and you couldn't play it. So he had an epi- he had an Epiphone guitar that he took the neck off it, and then he connected the neck to like a, a big piece of wood as a prototype. Then he had some uh, like semi acoustic guitar sides he screwed to it. And he was going to go into business with with Leo Fender originally, but it didn't work out. So he ended up working with Gibson and then the the Gibson Les Paul guitar was born. So and he has a and this I did see when I was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He has a permanent like um, display at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like a whole section for him. Yeah, absolutely. Not only, as I said, the electric guitar thing is groundbreaking enough, but he pioneered, basically invented multi-track recording. The, yeah. the, the system that he came up with, whereas like if you record on tape in a studio, the, 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 um, certainly in the analog realm, there'll be a number of tracks. So there might be eight tracks, 16 tracks, 32 tracks, and you can record on each one separately. What mm-hmm. Les pioneered was an early form of that called Sound on Sound, where you would maybe only have one track and then you'd record on it. And then you would record an audio on top of the top existing of recording, and then you would build your recording from there. Like overdubbing or something like that. Is that what yeah. it's called, overdubbing? Basically. And the other interesting fact about Les is that he didn't have the money to, to buy a second tape machine, because what he had to do was buy a second tape machine, tear the recording head off, and put it on a second machine to create the sound-on-sound sound thing. So That's Bing awesome. Crosby bankrolled him to buy a second tape machine. <laughs> what a big bankroll that was. Here's your second tape machine. <laughs> well, I'd imagine in 1941 or whenever he was doing this, a, a tape machine was probably outside the realm of any normal person. So it's not really related to I've been in New York plenty of times and I've been to a couple of different places in New York. I have not specifically been where Tim is talking about, but uh, one thing I do know about him and his early career is I watched a documentary. He played at like the... Um, he performed country music, weirdly enough, it's because he's done like jazz, R&B. I think he did a little bit of everything. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But he played at the World Fair, one of the first um, Amer- like World Fairs in America, the Chicago World Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was playing there. Um, it was somebody else. I can't remember what his name was, but that was one of his first big pieces was he went out and played at the World Fair. And weirdly enough, we don't it's not really a big deal in America anymore. Um, but the world fair was pretty famous to make a lot of musicians, artists, circus people popular in America. And there was things embedded at the world fair. It's kind of strange, but that was a big deal for us back in the thirties. <laughs> yeah. He was probably with Mary Ford, who was his wife at the time. And they used to perform together. It was always Les Paul and Mary Ford. Originally he, I think he, when he was a country artist, he was known as rhubarb red. His real name mm-hmm. is not Les Paul. It's Lester, Lester William Polfus. But Les Paul is his studio. It's his uh, stage name. Yeah, I know they talked about, you know, he's associated with Bing Crosby, the Andrew sisters at some point, um, either. And they were all 
played at the Chicago World Fair that year. So it was a big year for them. But that's specifically one of the I watched a whole documentary about it. And they talked a lot about that's where he got his start. And then it went on a big thing about that's how a lot of musicians got started back then. But I guess it makes sense because, I mean, you don't have the idea of radio. Well, you do have radio, but not the way we think of it. And you don't have TV and you don't have social media. So how else are you going to get known? Exactly. It, it was it was the big it was the it was the uh, it was the MySpace of the day. Now Mary Ford, what do I know? Obviously, she was married to him. Well, she was. She... Yeah, she was a singer. I mean, I don't know much about Mary Ford other than the fact that she's associated with Les Paul. And then what <laughs> happened is that they got divorced, and his deal with Gibson for royalties on guitars was linked into that divorce. So he briefly disassociated himself with Gibson. And it was around the time they discontinued the Les Paul guitar and made it into the SG guitar, which is the kind of guitar which Angus Young from ACDC plays. And then after all the divorce business had settled, he rejoined Gibson and then they they picked up making the Les Paul guitar again. Interesting. I mean, in what, he died in like 2009 now? Yeah, I, I, it wasn't long after I saw him. I remember um, we'd been back for a while and then we heard the news that, that Les had died. I mean, he, he, he was for an old fella. He was so, so spry in the mind. I mean, him getting on and off stage, you could tell he was a very, very old man, very frail man. But when, he, when they sat him down and put a guitar on him and he started talking and playing it, I mean, it, you, never it know. you never know. Well, he had to be in, what, 90s? Yeah, he was, he was in his late 90s when he died. Okay. Where's our road trip taking us now? Okay, our road trip is getting in the car, and then we're going to the airport, and then we're we're crossing the uh, crossing the sea, and we are heading to Winchester. Okay. And just outside Winchester is a place called Watership Down. Are you familiar with the car, with the film Watership Down? Yes, <laughs> actually, the- I am. Would you? That's what I was getting ready to ask. Yeah, with the with the rabbits and everything, and a song that's sung by Art Garfunkel. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bright eyes, all that business. Yeah. yeah. So we decided we we had we had a trip away. We stayed in Basingstoke because that's a great place to stay, obviously. And then we went to yeah, the, I know that. Yeah, on the way to Winchester, we went to Watership Down, and Watership Watership Down is really just like a sort of a hill field type thing. Okay. But was it based off of a book? Was the movie based off of a book? I think so. I think that's where it originally came from. So it's just a giant field where the, the bunny and the whatever it was that was seeing at me is that like it's just a big green place. Yeah, pretty much. Me? I mean, we, yeah, we looked it up on the map and turned a corner and then there was like some rolling hills in the background. And that was uh, that was Watership Down. But the best part was on walking to it, you walked through like sort of some little country residential roads. And mm-hmm. there was a number of houses which had little stone rabbits outside Aww. outside their houses. <laughs> That's so cute. Because what I would say that movie came out in the seventies, the cartoon version. I think so. Yeah, I, I remember. Uh, there used to be a, a UK TV show called Tis Was, hmm. and I can't no. I, for the life of me. I, can't, it's, I think it stood for this. This is this is Saturday Watch and See. I think is what it stood for. But anyhow, it was one of these kids TV programs that was for kids but was really probably pitched for adults even though it was on a saturday morning and the the show was like complete anarchy it was full of kids and they had a guy called the phantom flanflinger throwing custard like shaving foam custard pies around they had people in a cage that they throw buckets of water on and they were trying to do a tv show while all this anarchy was going on sounds very british to me 
Yeah, I, I've got one episode of Tiz Was, the 1981 Christmas special that we watch every year. But it ran for an, it ran for a number of years and it was a thing. But anyway, my point being, I remember it being out when that was out because I used to have a little kid that used to sing an incredibly bad version of Bright Eyes. <laughs> That's that's so great. That whole story was incredibly random. <laughs> so I went out to England and there was a big field and I remember they were singing rabbits. <laughs> but when I went near the houses, they also had rabbits on their little stuff. <laughs> I don't know why, but I have no idea where that story was going. It took a whole nother thing. But that whole concept of like people trying to do stuff while somebody's throwing pies at them sounds like something I would see on an English TV show. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Yeah. And I, I, I said I've watched we watch this episode every Christmas, the one that I have. And I, I've got it because it was on an old videotape when growing up and I mm -hmm. preserved it digitally. And I don't know, I just watch it as a nostalgia thing every year for Christmas. And you watch it with 2021 eyes and you think <laughs> there's kids running around. There's a lot of electricity in this TV studio. There's a lot of water being <laughs> thrown around. This is just a catastrophe. I mean, it's asking for someone to die. Basically. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in this country, like OSHA would be all over it. In, in England, like the Health and Safety Committee would, sh would shut it down. But clearly in 1981, that was fine. Well, we went over that whole thing in the last episode about songs that didn't age, age well. <laughs> this is an example of a show that didn't age well. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like, and we have a few in America that are like that, too, that I go back and watch. And I'm like, did we really allow this? Who, who, who pay, who signed the checks on this? I work at HR and I'm literally dying inside. <laughs> <laughs> but, what, but what's funny about Tiz was one of the, the, the co-presenter of Tiz was, was a lady called Sally James. And she now runs a school uniform shop in Sandhurst, not far from where Lee Aaron and Barry Browning lived. In fact, just around the corner from their house. That's all incredibly random. And the fact that you know that is even more random. <laughs> she runs a school uniform shop <laughs> right around the corner. All right, Sally James, if you're listening to the podcast, we'd love to have you on. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't go by Sally James for the school uniform shop. She goes by her uh, maiden name, but I can't remember what it is. Okay, whatever your maiden name is, Sally, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on. <laughs> That was the most detailed story about a piece of grass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love it, Tim. Where are we going next? All right, so 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 we're leaving uh, Watership Down. We're heading up to Heathrow. We're getting back on the airplane. And we're going to land in the rock and roll destination, which is Columbia, South Carolina. Okay. So we went to Columbia, South Carolina in 2018 as you do on a day trip when it's like a four and a half hour drive each way because you know that's something that me and hannah like to do and we the reason that we went to columbia south carolina was not the rock and roll connection we went there to see the world's largest fire hydrant <laughs> of course you did fire hydrant grass it all makes sense yeah so it's like this art installation where an artist has made this fire hydrant that's like taller than you, than you could ever imagine and it's set so it looks like it's busting out the ground oh that's kind of cool actually yeah and i think originally when it was um, first installed it used to spout water but i think the water feature was either turned off to conserve water or the water feature is broken but anyhow it's still there and it's kind of cool but the reason i am mentioning um 
Columbia, South Carolina, this particular trip, this particular um, area is famous because that's where Hootie and the Blowfish came from. Oh, they are famous. Yeah, they are famously a Columbia, South Carolina band. I did know that. And I do like Hootie and the Blowfish, though. I don't care for Darius Rucker by himself. It's kind of meh. And he kind of is it just me or is Darius Rucker kind of come off as a guy that like. I don't know. I don't think I'd want to have a beer with him. I, I don't know much about him. I know he played at the Harvester not that long ago, and he was, was wasn't he on that country music kick for a while? Yeah, he was. I don't know something about him. I've watched him on different TV shows, and just his mannerisms or something about him makes me think that we wouldn't be friends. But that could just be stereotypical. And I like Hootie and the Blowfish. I mean, they're pretty. You know, early. They're a pretty staple '90s band. I mean, I want to hold your hand is pretty good. I can name a few songs from them, but for some reason, something like Darius Rucker just throws me off. Now, what is the band that's speaking of bands that are known to be? Because like Tim said, I knew that because they're they're pretty close. Four hours is, you know, you could go down there, be back home by 10 o'clock if you got up early. But what is the band that's from Virginia, like Northern Virginia? That's an early 90s band. Dave Matthews band. Yeah. True story. Don't know how this relates to Hootie and the Blowfish, but I'm going to tell you a story about the Dave Matthews band. Whenever um, I worked as a, I worked at a call center as a supervisor previously, and one of the clients we had was XM Radio. Mm-hmm. Well, what, Dave Matthews. So when clients, when they when higher up um, people would call and they would go to certain like they'd be routed to a special team or they're supposed to like Eddie Murphy sometimes and things like that. But I was one that we knew had a big XM radio type thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the Dave Matthews band manager, for some reason, when he called, I guess maybe because he called from a different phone number that was associated with the guy, it did get routed into the right queue. So he just came to a regular employee. And it was at my call center, and that guy was such a jerk. He threw a fit (laughs) (laughs) that we could not get. He wanted something done. I don't know, something. It doesn't make sense because it wasn't like it's 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 radio. Like we didn't have to install anything. I can't remember specifically what he wanted, but we couldn't get something activated or do something specifically he wanted. And to this day, it just stands out to me that the Dave Matthews band are not my favorite because I remember their manager throwing a fit because his XM radio didn't work. Well, that that would be probably why our friends in Hootie and the Blowfish have a art installation and Dave Matthews <laughs> doesn't. Not related at all, but I was thinking of people who are local to Sarah. I don't know why I connected that to that, Tim, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to say that. So when we was in uh, Columbia, we saw the Hootie and the Blowfish art installation. Oh, OK. That makes so they have a whole art installation. They have an art installation in downtown Columbia, and it's on Hootie and the Blowfish Boulevard. Wow, they take Hootie and the Blowfish area. So, what is in the art installation? Well, I, I'm going to bring the I'm going to bring the picture up here, and I'm going to describe it for our uh, for our audio listeners. So, okay. it looks like a cup. It looks like a couple of bare dying trees done in metal. What? If you imagine a couple of trees <laughs> that had lost all their leaves and they were limping because they were like dying, and then, you, with... and then imagine that in metal with some other bits hanging off it, 
And that is a artistic representation of Hootie and the Blowfish. Okay, I thought it was weird that I associated them with the X and Dave Matthews band. Weird tangent there. But what the heck does that have to do with Hootie and the Blowfish? <laughs> like, it could have at least been a fish. <laughs> <laughs> like a big giant blowfish. <laughs> Darius Rooker's dating beside, I guess I'm assuming he was Hootie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post a picture in the Facebook group of the... Uh, Hootie and the Blowfish art okay. installation. Art is interpretational. I realized this. I get this, but that's just weird. I thought my brain was weird, but that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> this episode's taking a turn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now I really, I would love to know who was the art. Okay. I've got to do some research because I need to know who was the artist behind this and what they thought that, because I mean, it's not like a member of Hootie and the Blowfish probably personally made it. No, I'm, it, it probably, I don't know. I, I have no idea. You're going to have to look it up because I remember seeing it. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, it looks like a couple of dying trees made out of metal. <laughs> well, and OK, is there a Hootie and the Blowfish song about trees? Probably. I, I'm i not a big fan. I, I like their one album, Crack Rear View, and outside of that, I don't really know much about them. I mean, the only thing I could think of is Only Want to Be With You, I Want to Hold Your Head and Let Her Cry, which is from all from Crack Rear View or whatever. Crack Review, that's what it is. Yeah, Crack Rear View. Yeah, but I mean, I don't remember that having anything to do with trees, especially dead trees. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, move along. But I do want to know. That is about as random as me talking about the Dave Matthews band for 10 minutes there. Continue. <laughs> okay, so this rock and roll road trip is uh, is continuing. We're back in the car. And this time we're going to Greenbank, West Virginia. Now, Greenbank, okay. we went there in 2016. And Greenbank, West Virginia is famous... This is a sort. Of, this is a particularly tenuous rock and roll connection because I'm talking about radio waves, and you know, radio <laughs> waves sometimes have music. But in this case, they don't. But anyhow, there's waves involved. And in Greenback, West Virginia, it's a huge observatory radio telescope, absolutely huge radio telescope. But what's interesting about this town, a lot of people electronics and radio waves and cell phones well, mobile phones for our friends in England and all that kind of stuff make people sick some people are actually allergic to electronics and radio waves so mm -hmm. Greenbank West Virginia because they have this huge observatory uh, if you live in that town you're not allowed to have a cell phone if you have a microwave, you have to put it in a Faraday cage and you're not allowed to have Wi-Fi. And what's happened is a lot of people who have become sick from radio waves moved to Greenback, West Virginia, because it's like a safe haven for that. You can't even get FM radio or anything. It's a complete radio dead spot. And, and we did the tour of the of the um, radio telescope. They take you out to the radio telescope in a diesel vehicle because they said if you have a petrol gasoline engine, the spark plugs firing off actually will affect the radio telescope. So I've actually been there, Tim, with ah. the place that I've been. And it's right from it's outside of like Snowshoe Mountain or whatever. Yes. Um, which I've been because you can go like snow tubing and all that stuff. It's like a big winter resort area. 
mm-hmm. um, that's right there. And I used to, I've been a few times when I was um, at high school. I went with my church and different things like that. Um, but yeah, no, and it's a big observatory. You could see that you're. I, I remember you're not allowed to have cell phones. You're not allowed to have Wi-Fi. Um, and they make you turn all that stuff off if you're there. It was like a whole thing. But I went out, um, and they, yeah, it was like thirteen thousand miles or something. It was huge. But there's like literally nothing else there. <laughs> yeah. Did 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 you go out and see the actual um, the actual dish itself, the observatory mm-hmm. dish, the big white thing? It's like yeah, basically yeah, yeah. in the middle of a farm. Looks like kind of. And the the other interesting thing is you're not allowed to take digital photographs of it for the same reason because apparently a digital camera will mess up the radio telescope. So in the gift shop they will sell you an old style disposable film camera. So we like taking lots of pictures of our trips. So we bought a film camera and then mm-hmm. got it um got it went to get it developed afterwards at CVS. Now CVS for those of our UK friends don't know it's like Boots. It's like Boots, the chemist, basically. But they still offer this service. So I took it to the one in Christiansburg, and the grumpy manager, who, who I don't think he's there anymore. There used to be a grumpy guy who used to um, be over the CVS that's opposite Kroger. Yeah. And he apparently was supposed to, when you drop it off, you're supposed to pay for it at the same time. But he, we didn't do that. We just dropped it off. And then... We went to pick it up and it was an entire rigmarole to collect it because one person said we had to pay for it. One person said we didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> and then there used to be a really cool dude, tool dude that used to work in there. And I, and I think he, he he was maybe a college student and he worked in there part time, but he knew the deal. And like all the like the manager was arguing with somebody and arguing with somebody. It was a thing. And I just want my pictures and I got my card in my hand and they wouldn't <laughs> take it. And it was a thing. And this dude come out and said, it's fine. You ring out with this code. He said, it's fine. He didn't pay. We'll just do this and this and just take your card. And he said, that's 10 bucks. There you go. Thank you. Peace. Uh, I appreciate the employee who does that because I feel like I'm that employee half the time. <laughs> just click the button and let them go. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, no, I've, it's been years since I've been there. I kind of forgot it existed. Another place that that happens. Um, I don't know how much you've been to Washington, D.C., Tim, but mm-hmm. when you get close to the Pentagon, you can't your cell phone service and everything goes out because they have trans that like basically shut them down yeah that leads up i know that because i went to washington dc to visit my friend hog uh, for rough justice fame when he came to visit (laughs) a number of years ago and what's interesting not only does your phone stop working most of what central washington dc gps does not work yeah. So I lived in Washington, D.C. for a summer for uh, I said, I don't even want to get to me and Charlie lived there for previous shops. Doesn't really matter. So I lived there for a summer. I lived outside of Washington and Arlington, but we worked in the city and I've been back a few times. So I basically know my way around it. But if you get close to the White House or you get close to the Washington Monument or the Pentagon, you'll lose your cell phone service. Your GPS will stop working. It'll start scrambling. It's sometimes even depending on a radio station you're listening to will go out. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time, though, so when you're if you're near the Pentagon um, and for those who don't know what the Pentagon is, it's like outside of America. It's just think like a big military base type building. It's where most of our military headquarters come out of. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's an extra level of security um, on 9-11. The Pentagon was one of the buildings that was hit, yeah. for example. Um, so the Pentagon has some extra security. Well, we were lost. And there's a road you can that's basically like a do not come here unless you want to get shot road. 
That's not even a legitimate joke. That's like a that's real. Mm-hmm. So we're we're lost. Like Tim said, you can't get GPS. We're running in a circle because around the monuments and around the Pentagon, just big giant circle. And traffic in D.C. is like next level crazy. If you've never been there, think of the worst traffic you can imagine in times of like 10. Um, and so we end up on the road that you're not supposed to go down. <laughs> And there's a little guy in his little military shack staring at us as we're driving towards the Pentagon. Thankfully, we realized what we were doing. It backed up very quickly. (laughs) But yeah, that was the time I almost died. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm glad you're here to tell the tale. And that happened to me once. But yeah, same thing happens in D.C. But theirs is just scramblers for security reasons. It's not for. But what does the. okay. So I remember going and seeing the radio wave thing. And I know, remember being in West Virginia and I kind of remember seeing a giant satellite and I remember the Wi-Fi and I remember the cell phone thing. But what are these in the radio waves for? Is there a specific reason that they're there? Yeah, it's it's because there's two kinds of telescopes. Well, several probably kinds of tel- sounds really dumb to anybody out there. <laughs> there are several kinds of telescopes. There are telescopes that are using optics like um, I think the Hubble Space Telescope is like that, or a telescope that you would have if you was looking into the sky where you are bringing in light and that's what mm-hmm. you're looking at. But the, there's also radio telescopes where they bring in radio waves and then they can form images from those radio waves. Oh, okay. So that's what they're doing. They're being reflected from the, okay. Everybody out there is going, I thought this was a music podcast, Tim. Let's find <laughs> something music related. <laughs> now that you guys all know how radio waves work. There we are, see. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we're going to leave um, Greenback, West Virginia, and we're going to go to somewhere back in England, in London, and we are going to go to Abbey Road Studios. Okay. In London, St. In St. John's Wood. And we are going to visit the famous Abbey Road Crossing. We're now, have you ever been it. to that, Joy? Actually, I weirdly enough, I've been to England, but I've never specifically been to Abbey Road Studios or I know what the crossing looks like. I saw it from a distance, but I didn't like classically walk across the road like everybody else. Okay, so so Hannah and I went and we went to because outside of the Abbey Road Studios, there's a a big wall outside. And Mm -hmm. I think originally you're not allowed to, to write on it, but everybody would sign it. And even now, I think on their website a few years ago, they gave up. And even on their website now, it says, come and visit us and sign our wall. They were like, well, we'll whitewash it once in a while. So that's what you do. They actually encourage you to do it. So there's that. And the crossing itself, um, day or night, it doesn't matter. There are people walking in formation across that Abbey Road crossing. Mm -hmm. That's why I've seen it from a distance, but I couldn't really get that close. Yeah, they, they have a webcam. Abbey Road Studios have a webcam that points at the crossing. And you could log on right now, wherever you're listening to this show, log on to the Abbey Road webcam, and there will be people wandering across that. And sometimes you look at it, I've looked at it a few times, and then there'll be a yellow submarine crossing it, or people dressed in some, I don't know, Santa or something. It's, it's just a thing. And apparently all the cab drivers and all the bus drivers hate it because it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a thoroughfare for that area. It's like a main road for that area. And all you get is tourists day and night. Just... I can see how that could be annoying, honestly. <laughs> 
I understand why they're doing it as a Beatles fan. That's fun. And, you know, me and my big giant wooden yellow submarine running across the road. <laughs> it's cute. Don't get me wrong. But as a bus driver, just trying to get through my day, I could see how that would be kind of annoying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just saying. Well, Tammy, you made this one more related to um, music for sure than the last one. But isn't um, Abbey Road, isn't there like a lot of other famous sites down like the road like that they've referenced in different Beatles things? Um, probably. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I've always, the other place I was going to come come to, which is absolutely nowhere near Abbey Road, is Penny Lane. People routinely steal the signs. And in addition to that, they sign the signs that they've painted on the wall, so they have to redo them after a while. But what's yeah. cool is that Penny Lane still does have a barber showing photographs. Or actually, I think it was a hairdresser's, but it does have a uh, a, a hair emporium showing photographs. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it on um, Carpool Karaoke when they had Paul McCartney on. He goes into um, the barber shop and it's a lady. It's I think it's just a hair salon. I'm not sure it's necessarily a barber shop, but he comes in and talks to her. Um, and the reason I associated this with Tim had told me the story about the two different signs and the signing. I got them mixed up, but I mean that makes sense. Either anything that's iconic Beatles is going to be people are going to be want to be all over it at any given time. So, um, but no, uh, and then isn't there? And then I don't know where Eleanor Rigby is. Is there well, a location associated with Eleanor Rigby? Yeah, Eleanor Rigby. It, Eleanor Rigby was a gravestone in a graveyard in Liverpool. I don't know if it's still there. Maybe it is still there. But but um, John Lennon and Paul McCartney walking to school used to walk through a church graveyard, and it was one of the headstones, and it said Eleanor Rigby, and that's yeah. where that that's where that name comes from. That's what I thought. I remember you saying something about that. There's a physical location. Of course, I'm guessing that headstone's probably not there anymore. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't know. Tim, what do you mean you don't know every headstone that's in England? Isn't that part of your <laughs> thing you're supposed to know? <laughs> My obligation. <laughs> My obligation, you're supposed to know every location that a Beatles memorabilia happened. And so Apple Studios. What... Where is Apple Studios at? All right. Apple Studios was on Savile Row. Now, Savile Row, I've been there too. Savile Row was famous. Is, well, it still is famous. It's the district of London where all the tailors were located. So if you want to get a fancy suit made, Savile Row would be the finest suits and the finest clothing would come from Savile Row. And oh, okay. the Beatles bought that building, which was their Apple building, which had Apple Studios in the basement. And that is the building where um, up on the roof, they did the rooftop concert. Which is my favorite thing ever. And my favorite concert, uh, the, my favorite version of Get Back was done on the concert that day. And there's, I've told Tim this before, if you want to read a book, there's this book, her name's Miss Odell. She was somehow, I don't remember she worked at Apple Studios. I can't remember her exact association with it. But she's the one that's sitting by Yoko Ono, the lady sitting by Yoko Ono on the rooftop. Mm -hmm. um, on the final farewell tour. And she was, because she worked in Apple Studios, she was around all these musicians all the time. And she has all these stories to tell from um, anybody from Bob Dylan to the Beatles, basically. Because um, they were all in and out. And she talks about a lot of um, artists would go to the bathroom and would perform in the bathroom because of the acoustics. Oh. <laughs> it was a big deal for them <laughs> when she worked at Apple Studios. And so she talks about that. And then she talks about uh, like when George Harrison went on his giant... Um, religious type 
endeavor he went through and mm-hmm. you know came back from India and he was um Buddhist or whatever. I I don't remember was it Buddhism, whatever he was. Hinduism? I think he was into Buddhism. I think okay. that was that's what he was into. That might be it. Um, but if you guys know, please don't judge me. I just can't remember off my head. But that book is fantastic. And she's got like every musician that came in and out of Apple Studios she worked with. Um, and so she talks heavily about it. And um, it's just cool because at the final end of the book, she's the one sitting on the rooftop. And I had no idea. I've seen that concert a few times. I absolutely adore that concert. It's one that when it comes on, I crank up because I think the music was so good. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It was one of their most passionate ones. Um, but uh, she was the lady sitting on the rooftop. There we go. But I just, I don't know why I always stuck out to me that she thought it was rated that a lot of musicians would go in Apple studios and um, record in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well, yeah. it, it would have, um, you would assume it would have some kind of ceramic tiling or something, which would make a very good environment for. Um, Bathrooms rebirth. are notorious for that. Bathrooms are notorious for having really good acoustics. Um, but she, yeah, and she just talked about, she said it happened a lot there. Theirs were apparently really good. <laughs> there we go. And she <laughs> well, was at well, a lot of parties. <laughs> well, there we are. Well, we're, we're going to leave Liverpool and we're going to leave Savile Row and we're going to leave St. John's Wood. And we're probably okay. going to get on a rock and roll airplane. And this time we're going to go to Canada. Okay. And in Canada uh, is Niagara Falls, which is just at the border of uh, New York State. Uh, Niagara Falls, Canada, Niagara Falls, U.S. But we, we are we are on the Canadian side. And I visited last visited there in 2019 for my birthday. But we, we, we're not going to worry about um, um, Niagara Falls or Niagara on the Lake or any of that cool stuff there. We're going to go to a small little town somewhere outside there called St. Catharines. And St. Catharines is like a residential retail type environment and we're going to go to the eaton center eaton center being a what we would say here a cookie cutter large mall and in the eaton center is a record shop and i bought a rush album on vinyl there and that is your rock and roll collection ladies and gentlemen I like that. Like, so what I find very interesting about this is Tim can really identify where he's bought things. Like, I don't know that I can identify as well where I've picked up the things in my life as Tim. <laughs> Which Rush album was it, though? It was the uh, Moving Pictures. So, I have a I, I have a very funny story about Rush, not related to Canada, but it is about Rush. So once again, we're gonna go to Family Guy. <laughs> There's a Family Guy joke where Peter is wearing um he's wearing his like um khaki pants that he always wears on Family Guy, and they're at a Rush concert, and it's like. Um, it shows a bunch of guys in the audience. It's all men and they're all wearing black jeans. It's like, this is what it's like to be the only guy at a Rush concert wearing khakis that didn't vote for, uh, what was that third party candidate who ran for president? Oh, um, um no, um, yes. Oh, that's going to kill me. Um, oh, hold on. I'm going to look it up. I know the, I know the guy, um, not the Newt Gingrich. No, no um, He's the one that, like, didn't know the name of any other country or something. (laughs) Ralph Nader. No, hold on. He did run, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. 20... Joy frantically looking this up in the the Google machine. (laughs) Not Joe Jarrett. She did run, but she was the... Oh, that's going to kill me. Third party candidate. 
But anyway, it was like all the dads wearing. He was like, it's the only one to be wearing khakis and a black jean and be the only person who didn't vote for this candidate at a Rush concert. <laughs> and then somebody in the back just yells, play Tom Sawyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to keep looking. And funnily enough, Moving Pictures is the one that has Tom Sawyer on it. And, the I, re- and, the, and I also I bought two things in that record shop. I decided I was only going to buy stuff from a Canadian artist. So I bought um, the Rush album. But then I rifled through their used bin of stuff. And what did I find? I found a, a mint Canadian pressing of Don Johnson's first album. Oh, wow. That's random. Mint Canadian pressing of Don Johnson's first album. Where did you find this at? In, in the same shop in the Eaton Center. At the same shop. And it was so five. It was five Canadian dollars, and I took it to the counter, and the lady scanned in my um, Rush album very knowingly. Oh, you're in Canada, and you're buying a Rush album. Fantastic. <laughs> and then I handed her this one, and she looked at me funny, and I said, "I'm buying this for comedy value," and she said, "Yes, of course you are." <laughs> That's funny. Um. I had the guy's name up, but now I forgot what it was while you were telling that. Oh, no, I just saw it. Um, what is that guy's name? Not Tom Johnson. Uh, I just looked right at his name. Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson. There you go. Gary Johnson was the guy. So it was from the Libertarian Party, which and we don't have to get into it. But that was the joke is to be the only guy at a Rush concert not wearing black jeans. It didn't vote for Gary Johnson. There we go. <laughs> so for some reason now, Eric's about to think of Rush. And so they're making the joke. And then, of course, someone in the back screens play Tom Sawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but I was listening to you, but I was Googling that. So that's why I was like, did he say he found that at the sink? Because it's kind of a random. So. This is when you went to Niagara Falls and you just happened to end up at this specific shop is what you're telling me? Yeah, I'd been to, I, I've been to Niagara, well, Canada and Niagara Falls and St. Catherine and yeah. Niagara Lake. I've been there a few times. But gotcha. I remember that shopping mall was there and we went there because I, they, that shopping mall has got a, a Canadian Walmart in it. And what I wanted to do was buy Canadian candy for my dish at work. You know what was really weird to me? And maybe... This is my ignorance, but my first time traveling outside of the United States, I thought it was really weird when I came across the border. You know, customs ask you like weird questions, right? Yeah. Like, sometimes they just ask you random stuff, just trying to see if you'll slip up. Well, I just thought it was weird how long they spent wondering if I was bringing back like unpasteurized food. Like they were so serious. Are you bringing back any fruits, any cheeses, any of this, any of that? And I was like, of all the things you're worried about, you're worried about if I bring back some unpasteurized cheese, but they really were. I thought that was incredibly random. <laughs> well, I, I think, I mean, yeah, they're looking for drugs and they're looking for weapons and they're looking for fugitives and all that stuff. But I think the bigger threat is bringing things in the, out, the outside the ecosystem. Yeah, there's rumor like that Australian like plants and stuff, especially like ones in Australia. Hawaii's big on that too. They have like their own plants that are specific to Hawaii. Um, and if you bring stuff in, it can ruin their ecosystem. Yeah, and in fact, well, I went to Australia in 1998. I haven't been back since. I'd like to go. I'm keep meaning to go back at some point, but I will do when it isn't quite as expensive to travel back there. But I went in 1998, and I don't know if they still do this. But they what they used to do is you would land in Australia and before you deplane, they would come through with these aerosol disinfectants and spray them over your head in the cabin to disinfect <laughs> you before you was allowed to step off the plane. 
See, what you don't know is that they adopted that again, but that's just because of COVID. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could they could be like doing it now anyway, but I, I was told it would happen before I went because a friend of mine had traveled to Australia a number of times, but mm-hmm. they, they tell you on the thing, and they tell you to, you know, cover your face and close your eyes, and they... <laughs> I wonder if anybody's like ever passed out or something. I mean, I'm sure whatever they're spraying is not just like neat Clorox. I'd imagine it's, <laughs> it's some kind of formulation that, that you, you can breathe it and it's not going to kill you. I mean, maybe it will. I don't know. But they, they also showed a video as the plane was coming into land about bringing meats and cheeses and wood carvings mm-hmm. and things that you wasn't supposed to bring into Australia because it would mess up their, their ecosystem. I know it just I guess I was ignorant to that at that point it didn't really it just of all the things that they could ask me about I just thought that was so random now I get it and remember Johnny Depp got in a lot of trouble because like he wasn't supposed to bring his dog or something it was an yeah, animal he, he had a he, being Johnny Depp having Johnny Depp money he pri- he chartered a private jet I think from the US to Australia for some film he was making and mm-hmm. he bought his dog with him and of course it landed at a private airstrip and all this stuff and then he was there for a number of days or weeks and then they found out that he had his dog with him and it hadn't gone through quarantine yeah so, certainly certainly in england it used to be if you bought a, a pet into england it had to sit in quarantine for six months or three months or something and wow. i think i think australia is almost the same thing if you import a pet in for the same reason so he <laughs> circumvented that and the only reason they didn't confiscate and destroy the dog is because he agreed to do some psa work with them or do some kind of goodwill work to, to make it right well and because he was johnny depp yeah absolutely i mean if it, <laughs> if it was like rich bob who chartered an airplane i'm sure that wouldn't have happened but you know the kudos of Johnny Depp going on their TV and saying, hey, I messed this up. Don't you mess it up. Our, our, the ecosystem's important. Yeah, I just remember that being a big thing. And I'm very happy nothing bad happened to the dog, of course, because it was at his owner's expense. You know what I mean? It's not the dog's fault. Sure, absolutely. But, um, uh, yeah, I just remember that being a thing. Um, not that that was music related at all, but I just thought it was random. They really wanted to know if I was bringing unpasteurized cheese back with me. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. But now I've done it a few times. It doesn't shock me. When I went to Greece, they didn't ask me anything. The guy just kind of stared at me and handed me my passport back. There you I don't go. Think he asked me anything. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to bring this leg of the rock and roll road trip to a close with one more stop. Now, I've got a number of other places. I may revisit this topic again in the future, but this is this will be our final stop on the rock and roll road trip. And this is from 2015, which I think was the last time I went there. I may have gone since. I honestly can't remember. But this we're going down to Florida. Now, as, okay. we, as, as we may have discussed on uh, Freak Jam Zoom chats, our friends in England mostly think of Florida as Disney theme parks and stuff like that. And Joy was born there. If yep. that is matters. But people but but people in the United States know that there's a lot of wacky stuff that goes down on in Florida. We don't need All to the ex- weird crimes. Yeah, we, we don't we don't need to extrapolate on that, though the whole Florida man game, and if you haven't our listeners who haven't played that, what you do is you put in your birthday and Florida man into Google and you see what the first story that comes up. And it's normally like mutant zombie gator with knife murders man and then eats man by cooking him in microwave while wife is naked in the garden it's it's like you can't make this stuff up and that's what it's like (laughs) tim even made that one's pretty tame compared to some of the ones i've seen 
Exactly. And ironically, I've, I've been to Florida every year of my childhood, though I never saw any um, gators eat anybody. Didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we, we, we're going we're gonna to steer the road trip away from wacky Florida stuff, but okay. we're going to go down to, um, to Disney, and we're going to go to Disneyland's Magic Kingdom, okay. and we are going to go on a ride with a very irritating song that plays in the background that once you hear it, you could never, ever get it out of your brain ever again. It's a small world after all. It is a small world after all. <laughs> it's a small world after all. So I've been to Disney. Technically, it's Disney World, Tim. You're in Florida. Land okay. is in California. <laughs> get it right. We're going to get specifics here. This is the one thing I knew, guys. Let me have it. Okay. Anyway. So, <laughs> no, it's a small world after all. I thought for a second, though, um, Space Mountain plays um, Aerosmith. I don't know if you've been on Space Mountain or not, but they play Aerosmith when you're going through. Yeah, I, I haven't been on Space Mountain because I don't like roller coasters because my back is dodgy. And last ro- the, last, the last roller coaster I went on was Universal Studios Hollywood, and it was the Jurassic Park log flume. And it takes and it's much like every other log flume. You know, it takes you up and then it drops you down and it gets to the bottom and it splashes. But they, 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 they'd really up the ante with it. And the, 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 most of the climb is in complete darkness. And there's a big T-Rex goes, Rah! and then it drops. It's almost like a sheer drop. And when this thing hit the bottom, it went bang. <laughs> and I don't think my lower back has been the same ever since. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. No. Um, uh, well, it's a small world after all. I've heard a million times before and it's referenced on everything. Um, and it's one of the original rides of Disney. Mm-hmm. So when like Disney was still Disney back in the day and it only had like a very small because Magic Kingdom's the original piece of Disney World. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small world after all has been one they've redone over and over. So it's one of their original rides. But yeah, if you go on Space Mountain, which is a, for those who've never been to Disney World, it's an indoor roller coaster mm-hmm. and you start and they pull you up to the thing and then it just like weirdly enough Aerosmith comes across the screen and they said something about a band or something and then they jettison you out and then like loving an elevator screaming at you through the entire roller coaster <laughs> <laughs> it's true um, and you're in the dark but I was part of this program when I was in high school because I went with one of my, because I I told you guys I used to travel with choirs. Um, with my honors choir that I was with, we went to Disney. We were at Orlando performing, and we went to Disney World. Well, they signed us up for this program. It's called the Yes Science Program, and it gets you into the parks before. Um, so, and then they go around and they teach you things about science and velocity and roller coasters and yada, 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 which is also how I learned that it's a small world. After all, it's one of the first that was open. Mm-hmm. Well, they brought us into Space Mountain without the lights off and the Aerosmith screaming at you and stuff. Um, it's a giant warehouse. And, like, you're like, this is what it, it looks scary because it looks much scarier without the lights on. Because, like, you're, like, flying past a wooden box, like, hanging down right beside your head. If you were two feet taller, you're going to lose an eye. Like, there's <laughs> wires hanging down. Like, because there's no lights and there's a strobe effect when it's, you know, when it's doing the Aerosmith thing. It, um... Well, it might not always be Aerosmith. They might change the artist. That's just the one that was there when I was there. Mm-hmm. And it might not always have music. I don't know. But anyway, when the lights go off and the lights start flashing at you and loving an elevator is what's 
chanting at you as you're being thrown across the thing. Um, you can't, you don't see all this, but when they turn the lights on, there's like a box beside your head. There's like a, like a pointy wire that's halfway off. And you're like, I remember thinking, Oh my God, how are we, how are these, like, how is this legal? <laughs> because <laughs> I guess you don't really put it in perspective. And that was the moment that I'm like, okay. Cause they, t- you know, roller coasters only go like 30 miles per hour. It's all about like the centrifugal force and the, like your brain thinks you're going faster than you are and stuff. So that's what they were teaching us about. And they were bringing us around in the dark and they're showing us different things and saying, this is how fast you're actually going at this moment. But it's just a giant warehouse. Yeah. And I will also say that for our, uh, for our friends in England who grew up in the, well, we're we're, we're of uh, age in maybe a teenager in the 80s or maybe the 90s at Thorpe Park, which is a theme park, which is not far from where I used to live in West London. They had a ride called Space Station Zero, which was essentially the same idea as um, the one that you was mentioning at Disney, Space Mountain. Yeah. However, it probably wasn't as good quality. And I think actually it was just some old junkie roller coaster in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the, um, well, I mean, basically when they turn the lights on, that's all Space Mountain was too. <laughs> <laughs> I was very shocked. Disney, I guess though, if you don't have to, but I mean, it, it legitimately looked like I was riding in a warehouse around like <laughs> what I thought was like this cool thing. But yeah, it's, I mean, with the music blaring and the lights off, you never know. Well, there we that's are. That's what well, I remember. Well, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, with, uh, with joy destroying the magic of Disney, I think we're going to end the rock and roll road trip right there. And we will see you next week. Bye. See ya.